Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian. We're going to be talking about tiling in crop and Brian is actually in the studio. Normally he's out in a field or talking to farmers somewhere else other than being here when we're talking about tiling just so we make sure that I get to talk just a little bit on this subject because, man, I'm loving the tile that got put in on some of my farm ground last fall, and it's actually working. Even after two years of drought, it's awesome. There's there's water coming out of it this year with high water tables in a couple of spots. So I'm pretty enthusiastic about it too, but as you know, Brian gets really, really excited about tile. So we're going to talk about tiling in crop, which is something a little bit different, even for many of the tiling enthusiasts that say, man, it's been so good for my farm, but I want to wait until after harvest. I don't necessarily want to do an in crop. Or we also hear this a lot. And I, I would say this is one of those excuses that uh, if you if you kind of look at, all right, why, why am I saying this? You'll, you'll figure it out real quick. Oh man, I just can't get enough tiling done on my farm. I wish I could get several fields done this year, but I really only have time to do one. Is it time or, or is it the expense or what, what's the real story? Cause you do have more time than you think, at least, you know, if you want to try and get in main lines or something like that, or just tile some problem areas, you can certainly do it in crop. So we'll talk about that today and some of the guidelines that we use on our farm. We'll also be taking your calls and questions throughout the show today at 844-44-AG-PHD. If you've got any questions about tiling or, or any agronomic topic, today's a great day to call. And you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. Darren, you made the comment, you may have more time than you think. So let's put it this way. Most every farmer out there is going to feel like, hey, I'm busy 100% of the time. I get that. The thing that we always talk about is it's just it's time management and it's looking at what makes you the most money. So like in our farm, we try to focus on these jobs that pay the best, on the jobs that are going to make our soil the best and improve our yields, improve our profitability, all that kind of stuff. And those are the priorities. Well, to me, there's almost nothing that's more important than tiling on the farm. I mean, planting timing Harvest timing, spraying timing, yes, you, the, those are probably a little bit, well, they are a little more important. But with the tiling thing, we just want you to get it done. And like, here, here's what we usually run into. And granted, we're in the northern United States. But the ground freezes up in the fall sometimes, or it's just really cold and it's hard to get the work done in the fall. Plus, we're super busy. And then in the spring, well, when you can tile, that's when you should be planting. So that's the reason why we're talking about this tiling in crop thing, because there are going to be some people that say, well, I missed another spring again. Nothing much I could do. Our March was terrible. So, and early April. So I had to go right into my planting and I didn't have time for tiling. What, what, here's what our general rule is. As long as your crop is less than a foot tall, you can probably go in there and tile with minimal yield loss. And in some cases, like especially at our farm, we've been able to show um, we've had no yield loss. In fact, there's probably yield gain because now we get the tile in there and we end up with a better crop in the end. And here's the thing to think about. It's a one-year deal. You're not ripping up your crop every single year. You're going every 50 feet or 100 feet or maybe 300 feet, depending on your situation where you're just doing spot tiling. That's it with one shank. 
so you're not you're not causing much issue out there. But yeah, if the if the corn or the soybeans, for example, they're less than a foot tall, you should be in pretty good shape going out there and tiling. And here's the other thing that I always bring up to people. Let's say it's June and you're tiling. Well, the days are as long as they're going to get. It's warm and things are really drying out. It's not nearly as wet as it is in April or maybe October or something like that. You're hopefully going to have a few good days. And the big thing is when you're going through the field with the tile plow, traction is everything. You don't have to have this enormously huge tractor. You just have to have traction. So you got a better opportunity for that as well. So anyway, I'd just say we encourage you to take a look at in-season tiling. We're going to talk about that throughout the show today. But the, the big thing that I want you to think about when it comes to tiling is this. Tiling helps you make farming fun. And what I mean by that is I was just talking to an agronomist right before the radio show. And he was just saying, yep, some of my guys, are, they're holding off right now. I go, holding off for what? Well, it's cold. No, come on. You've got to plant. I, I, but, and he, then he goes, well, a lot of them, it, it's really waiting for the last spot in the field to get ready. They can get 90% of the field, but they want the last spot to get ready. I go, oh, okay, now I understand. Because basically they don't want to have to go back and fill in. This is the same exact situation we dealt with for many years prior to us getting tile on the ground. And I, I just remember the first year, there was one, one field where we'd always have to go back and, and do stuff again. And I called my dad because it was the year after we had tiled and we planted the thing straight through. And it was early. I mean, it was sometime in mid-April. And I go, yeah, Dad, we we finished this all up. And he goes, no, you didn't. And I, he said, you got these spot over here that. And I go, no, we literally went through the whole thing. He's like, really? Oh, that's awesome. I mean, it just it it reduces your stress. It it takes so much extra work away because now we didn't have to wait to let everything get ready. We didn't have to go back and plant or go back and replant in some little spot or something like that. It's awesome. And the tile lines don't run all that much for us. We only get 20 to 24 inches of total annual precip, and that includes the snow. So our tile lines will usually only run for two weeks, four weeks maybe, and it's generally just in the spring, and that's it. So all we're trying to do is keep the water table down. This is not removing all the water from the field. All tile does is gets you back to basically the maximum normal capacity for water in that soil. So we have pretty heavy soils. We can hold a lot of inches of moisture, but we just can't have solid moisture. In other words, a water table going all the way up to our soil surface that chokes out the air, which then kills a lot of beneficial microbes that could really help our crop and damages crops and crop roots. So we'll talk about tiling in crop on today's show. Stay tuned. This is Ag PhD Radio. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trifold Herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trivolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at trivoltinaction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. 
At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Nutrition N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit corteva.us. Warehouse, what can we do for you? Yeah, I'm looking for some nitrogen. All right, we're running low and it's awful pricey, but uh, let me check. Hold. The answer to low supply and high prices for nitrogen is Invita, a microbe with systemic nitrogen fixation. Invita works throughout the foliage and roots, providing a right place, right time source of nitrogen to maximize yield in corn, wheat, and soybeans. Yeah, we're all out, but... You know what? I'll take some of that Invita. <laughs> That's what I was going to recommend. Book your Invita while supplies last. Hi, I'm Greg Souter at 360 Yield Center. Getting more nitrates into the corn plant drives yields higher. When and where you place your nitrogen makes a big difference in packing nitrates into the ear. 360 Y-Drop places in right over the roots. It's the most efficient way to move nitrates into the plant for better tip fill and heavier kernels. Convert your side dress bar to 360 Y-Drop. Learn more at 360yieldcenter.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about tiling in crop. And we're taking your calls and agronomic questions all throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. Start out over in Minnesota, we get Zach Moen with us right now, who does a little tile installation and farms himself. How you doing, Zach? Not too bad. How are you going? Pretty good. All right. We're talking tiling in crop, and it's been, boy, when on our farm, all the tile we put in, we put a, a huge percentage of tile in crop. Uh, how about over in Minnesota? Do you see guys putting tile in in crop in addition to doing stuff in your, what, two weeks of fall weather that you get before it gets <laughs> to be winter? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot more going in crop than there is probably going, you know, before or after. So it just seems like that's the trend that the guy has the window. So. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I see a lot of pattern tiled fields, but I also see a lot of mains going into the fall. How, how do you decide what you're going to try and get done when? Uh, for us, it's basically all, you know, weather related. You know, if we can have a drier year, we kind of do our own, like the bigger mains on the dry years that are going to be trouble in the wet years. And then, you know, it's kind of hit or miss if you're going to spot in a couple patterns here and there and do some targeting but you know it's we're not going through and patter tile in the whole field and in season anyway but yeah we we haven't either it's it's been uh, been mains and targeted spots and you know we do 30 inch rows on our farm you've got some varying row spacings depending on where you're at in minnesota you got some guys doing 22s and sugar beet country maybe even some narrower rows than that do, do you see uh, anything there with the row spacing that allows you to do one thing or another with in-crop application, or or you pretty much aren't really worried about which way the rows are going? Not too worried. We're actually 22-inch rows ourselves. We don't do any sugar beets, but we are 22-inch corn and soybeans. And you maybe run over a little less on 30-inch, but you know, for what you're actually running over in-crop, 
it's really pretty minute to what you're actually going to gain in the long run. So the ROI is pretty well pretty well in your favor to tile it whenever you can. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you on that. But, you know, Brian has mentioned this before, too. He's like, you just have this one-year inconvenience that you may have some dirt mounds <laughs> running here and there <laughs> you where go. you put the tile in. Do you do anything? Do you have a secret to, uh, here's here's what we do so those aren't so bad or so they're a little easier to see or something like that? Or do you just say, no, we're always going to plant corn in those fields so we can harvest way above that? Well, we're... Where we're at, we're still on relatively forty in, or forty foot spacing on our um, laterals. So normally, the guys around here with the forty foot heads and stuff like that, they're not so worried about it. But um, yeah, I mean, it does get to be a little bit of a pain going across those tile lines in the fall. Yeah, uh, we have a little disc that we uh, pull across them and try to, you know, put more on top of the tile line and kind of break up them clods and stuff so they're not so bad to go over in the fall. You know, that that's kind of an interesting point, too, is is the chunks of dirt or clods that are there. These these last couple drought years in some areas, uh, that's been a little uglier than normal. <laughs> how, how about where you were at? Has, has the soil been fairly decent to work with, or have you seen some of those issues, too? Or, or maybe even just with heavy compaction in some of these areas, because surely if they're really wet, uh, it's pretty tough not to compact it compact them well i'll tell you what i like tiling when it's dry versus tiling when my boots get water over them <laughs> yeah yeah good point there so but no i mean it's all pretty much relative to it's you got some ground around us that's really mellow and then we got some really uh tight heavy clay soils that you know, you get some pretty good chunks with no matter if it's wet or if it's dry so sure Sure. How about uh, how about this spring, Zach? How are you guys coming? Have you started planting at all yet? Oh, we were just trying to come up with a plan here today to see when we're going to start, and I think we're going to either try it tomorrow or Wednesday and see what a guy can come up with as far as how many acres we can get across. It's yeah. still iffy around some spots where, you know, it's seeping the snow melt out of the groves and stuff, but I'd say we're anywhere from 95 to 98% ready to go here, so... Excellent. Well, good luck to you, Zach. Stay safe this spring and, and appreciate talking to you. Hope we can talk again down the road. Sounds good. Thank you. You bet. Let's head down to Iowa. I know the guys are rolling in Iowa. I've got Keith Rower with us right now with Dry Run Drainage. How you doing, Keith? Good. How you doing, Darren? Good, good. All right. So you got tractors in the field all over, I'm sure, pulling tillage and fertilizer and planters. How about tiling? You do tiling before guys get going or is it just uh, too much of a hassle this time of year? Yeah, no, we usually do some. I've had some spring work already. We did uh, a waterway project and uh, finishing up some pattern tile project cross road crossings. Um, doing some other outlet work uh, in preparation for a pattern tile job this fall. And it's usually the slower season. Um, that coupled with a drought has made it pretty slim for tile work. But we've we've stayed busy. I know my wife has noted this that. Farmers, uh, including me, seem to be a lot more comfortable once all the crop is in the ground uh, and easier to work with. So I don't know, Keith, I got, I got to work on that. I, I would assume as you're trying to do tiling in crop, once once farmers get the crop in, they can at least take a deep breath and, okay, got the crop in, now we can start addressing these issues. Yeah, you know, but uh, that I mean, that is a good way to work it. The issue is, is there's not a lot of... Uh, 
demand for in-crop. You know, 2019, when we were super wet, we did a lot of in-crop. Um, I've done a bunch of in-crop on my own ground, and really the damage that you do is very minimal. And, and so I offer discounts and encourage customers to do that, but, you know, especially in a dry year, it can be a little harder to get somebody to commit to doing that. But in my own results, uh, last year, for example, we had a field on our own property doing customer work. By the time I got to it, we had corn that was over a foot tall. And we went ahead and did the project because it needed to be done. We were there. And come fall, uh, the only issue you could see was right where the tile line was installed. Everything else, you know, the tracks of our machine, the stinger cart next to it, everything grew back, filled in, and was, you know, unnoticeable. Um, and, and only the place where our tile plow had plowed is the only visible part of that project. So it's really a very useful thing to do. Yeah. And now it's done. Now the project is done and you get to benefit from it for the rest of the time you're going to farm. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause that, the area we did is a known wet area and wet years will flood and, and have standing water for many days. And it's always been a, you know, difficult area in wet years as a poor producing area. Last year was excellent with the drought. Um, and so now we have that ability to have excellent production there year round, every, every year, if it's wet or dry. So, yeah, it sure makes things a lot more predictable. And, and I know as you drive around the country, you see the first fields that farmers are getting in. Those are almost always the well-tiled fields. Absolutely. Absolutely. It increases your soil temperature temperature and gets you in much sooner. It's just overall benefits along with, you know, soil reduction, erosion uh, reduction. There's so many benefits from tile. Definitely. What are some of the trends right now, Keith, in your area? Are you seeing guys uh, doing anything different, narrowing up the spacing or changing the sizes or depth at all? Oh, I would say, you know, there's probably more, um, groupings of tile and you know i'd say when i first started 12 years ago we had a lot of single or just couple tiles going up hills now you'll see areas where we focus and and put in a little grid um and and more grid pattern tiling across the entire fields so you know it, it's and it really kind of just depends on the customer too you know each each one has different needs and 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 budgets and so you just kind of work around all that and and typically uh uh the soil, you know, recommendations Iowa State gave us is a, a good starting place to jump from. And, and then, yeah, like I said, factor in budget, you know, um, and customers' needs and wants. And, yeah, basically listen to their story. Now, the good thing about this time of year, even for tile installers like Keith, is they get to farm too, and they, they get to plant their crop because people aren't beating down the doors this time of year as much. But we do encourage you to think about doing some in-crop tiling. Uh, if you've got tiling work to get done on your farm, oftentimes, as Keith was saying, you get a, get a discount for doing it at this time as well. Keith, thank you so much, and have a safe and happy planting season. Thank you. You too. Talking in-crop tiling on today's Ag PhD radio show. Stay tuned. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. 
It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get your planter ready for spring with Germinator Closing Wheels from Farm Shop MFG. When you buy 12 rows or more, get free shipping or 20% off an end zone bin system. So call Farm Shop MFG today at 712-520-6051. Good morning and hallelujah! Watch it. My spray and pray days are over! What's with Randy? Oh, he's just amped. <laughs> Weed field heaven! Amped? Yeah, he ordered that new battalion amp herbicide from UPL. They're calling it the new gold standard. This is the greatest day in herbicidal history! So, how can I... Get amped? Just go to battalionamp.com. It's gonna be a good year! Always read and follow label directions. The hard-working, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly, and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. This is Mike. Hey. He's getting a quick haircut at the local barber school. It's only five bucks. How bad can it? Oh! Yikes. Don't be like Mike when it comes to weed control. Get the job done right the first time and plan ahead with Status Herbicide. It delivers elite corn safety and reliable performance, so you don't have to deal with more problems than you bargained for. No, 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 no. Status Herbicide from BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Our email address, radio at agphd.com. Kind of lit up over the weekend. We got a bunch of emails to get through in the Ag PhD mailbag time a little bit later in the show. And we're talking tiling in crop, and certainly there's lots of questions around this. If you've got some observations from your own farm, we would love to hear from you today. Or if you just have an agronomic question, that's fine too. 844-44-AG-PHD. Uh, let's head back over to Minnesota. Got Kevin Lippert with us with Lippert Tile to talk just a little bit about this. How you doing, Kevin? Good. Are guys getting out in the field up in your area yet? Uh, there's a little fertilizer being spread, and they tiling tomorrow. So. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a long winter. <laughs> I'm really glad for yeah. for things to change and get back out in the field. And you know, it kind of brings up the point why we're talking about tiling in crop. Well, you just don't know how many months out of the year the ground is going to be thawed out enough to even do this. What What's kind of your guideline? When do you start in the spring? When do you stop in the fall? 
Well, I wish it was uh, started a month ago. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we just go out and check, see once where the frost line is or how crunchy it is in the spring. And in the fall, I I, I kind of quit when it gets to, you know, three, four inches of frost because it's uh, not so much plowing the tile in, it's the dig-outs. You, get, uh, you can't get good soft media over your you know, teas and stuff like that. You end up with frozen chunks on top of that, and that freezes all the way down, and you can crush it in the spring, you know, on your dig-outs. So um, guys can do whatever they want, but I prefer not to do that. Yeah, everybody does things a little bit different, and, and you're right, experience over the years kind of shows you. Uh, here's here's about how far we can push things, and, and so it leads us to this topic of tiling in crop. Uh, I know on our farm, it's been a, a huge percentage of the tile that we put in has been done in crop. Uh, how about for you? Are you getting some more guys on board? Yeah, I am. You know, uh, last year, we uh, pattern tiled 80 acres out. It was... Uh, uh, navy beans. Um, they were up a couple inches, and the guy was worried about it. And I said, "Well, I don't know when else we're going to get into it. You know, it's dry right now. We can get, you know, we can put the lines in." And so I talked him into it, and uh, he was happy with it. Uh, you know, he plowed the tile, and it it looks like hell for a month or six weeks. But you know, once we tile it and close the lines and uh, drive the tile line back down, they just run in there with the planter and plant over it. Or if you can get a hold of a no-till drill, I mean, that's what we do on soybeans, you get a no-till drill and you just punch them beans back in, get some group sixes or something like that, punch it back in. And, you know, on 80 acres, uh, you know, I think we've only used one drill fill to reseed back over tile lines. You know, it's not that much more... Um, cost for the seed to do it at just some time and in September when it rolls around it's all flat there's not a combine issue there's no ridges and stuff like that it's all worked down through the year and the guys are happy with it and they're glad they did it goes in good it's dry when it goes in so yeah, it always makes farmers nervous if they haven't done it before that, oh, I don't know, I can just see all the things that could potentially go wrong. But it's kind of nice. There's, there's farmers doing this every year. All you have to do is just drive down the road, uh, talk to a tile installer, like we're talking with Kevin Lippert here with Lippert Tile, and, and say, okay, where have you put some in in crop? I want to go take a look. And I'd, I'd recommend anybody thinking about this or, or needing to get tile done, go take a look at some of these fields and see the guys that, that do this year in and year out and have gotten really good at it. Uh, have, have figured out a way to have minimal impact out in the fields or mi- minimal negative impact, and you get all the positive benefits of the tile from day one. Uh, so I, I think it's a it's a great deal. How about with the bankers, with the budgets, those kinds of things, Kevin? Uh, what are you finding in this environment now? Interest rates going up, that makes everybody nervous. But, boy, a lot of the bankers we talk to are even more excited about tile that, man, we got a great chance for a really good return on investment out here with these market prices we've got. Yeah, the market prices, you know, prices may be down a little bit now at the moment and stuff like that, so every acre counts. Um, bankers look at that that uh, to improve it. Uh, you know, land prices staying high and rents are staying high that, uh, you know, a lot of guys, you know, bankers are saying, well, you know, instead of buying iron that you maybe, maybe and maybe can't pay for, you can just put those inputs into you know, putting tile in the ground and increase your uh, yield and uh, increase uh, how good your land produces. 
um, with less impact on machinery and stuff like that. So that's what a lot of guys are kind of looking at that it does, it really does pay off. Yeah, it's a nice it's a nice investment, and I, I know I've talked to a number of farmers in their seventies and eighties that have that have tiled everything out, and you, you think, man, well, why are you doing this? And it's well, guess what? I'm trying to pass this land along to the next generation, and I can only pass so much, but I can make it really, really good. And you know, if you if you end up at eighty years old and you say, I'm going to have a little extra money. Uh, what a great investment. And then you think about that land for that next generation, how good that's going to be. Uh, so, yeah, you see a lot of a lot of different things. And, and in a lot of cases, those guys aren't financing a thing. They're just paying for it cash, which is which is pretty cool, too. Mm-hmm. You bet. Well, it's hard to hard to pick up that next piece of ground, but to, to turn your own ground that you already have into something better, uh, that's, that's one of the big things we hear from folks that, that want to get tiling. Well, Kevin, I, I know up in your area, uh, this tile season kind of got shortened this year. So just want to wish you good luck as you get rolling along here. Hopefully you get a bunch of acres to do in crop because we know it sure helps your area. Oh, yeah. Thank you very much. You bet. Thanks, Kevin. All right. So to kind of wrap up on our tiling talk today, I guess I'll just say if you've never done any tiling in crop, at least try a few acres and then see. And especially when you're doing spot tiling or you're just putting the mains in or something like that, you do very little overall disturbance in the field. The other big thing that our dad always talked to us about is he goes, okay, one reason why you want to be tiling in crop is you literally were just out in that field planting. You know where all the problem areas are now. So now you can go out and solve some of those problem areas. So hopefully this is your last time fighting some of those things. And I, I guess I, I will say again, too, it's so much more fun when you're tiling and the weather's warm. And you really can't do that so much if we start talking about early season or late season. I mean, unless, of course, let's say you put some some acres into small grains and you get the opportunity to go out and do some tiling in August, September, something like that. Great. But for a lot of us that, let's say, we want to raise corn and soybeans, we just don't have a whole lot of time to do it. So if you're out in that field, the crop is less than a foot tall. I'm just telling you, we've done a tremendous amount of that on our farm. It's probably half the tile we have put in now over the years has been in crop. And it's worked out really well. I, I recommend this often to farmers that are asking about it. But I will say, on the fields where we wanted to go out and pattern tile at 25, 30 foot spacings, those are the fields where we just set those aside and we say, all right, we're either going to put small grain in. We did that on one of our fields where we had these really tight uh, tile lines, or we're going to, let's say, cut it for silage, or we just say, you know what? I don't care what happens in the fall. We are getting this done somehow, some way. It is top of the priority list. More important than fertility, field work, anything else, we're getting this tiled. So I'm just trying to tell you, tiling in crop, I probably wouldn't be doing it if I'm going 25 foot spacings. But if I'm spot tiling, putting in mains, it'll work out just fine for you. So I would encourage you to take a look at that. And then I guess the last thing that I'll leave you with on tiling is there's still, unfortunately, a lot of people that talk negatively about tiling. There's a tremendous education process. And so I, I 
give lots of talks about tiling, the environmental benefits, how farmers are putting it in today, the things that we can do to make it great for the environment, great for the upstream and downstream landowners, all that kind of stuff. So it, it's maybe a little bit different than, than some of the tiling that's been done in the past, but still a lot of the concepts are the same. I'm just trying to tell you here, tiling is a fantastic thing and it works out great for your neighbors, for you, for your community. You generate a lot more revenue. That money flows through the area. I mean, it's it's really good if you do it right. So if you got more questions about tiling, let us know. Right after this, though, we're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag. My mom's got a new case I extractor and... It can do it all. Bale hay all day. Sand in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Ship like a race car? Steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her Case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out CaseIH.com. Are you ready? We got the need! Start your engines. Ready, set, Intego. Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com slash Intego. Always read and follow label instructions. Get what you spray for, results. Get the lasting control more corn growers trust with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Apply pre-plant, pre-emergence, or early post-emergence to control tough broadleaf weeds and grasses before they cost you. For superior control with a low use rate and long residual, make the easy, high-performing choice. Visit anthemmax.ag.fmc.com to get results. Always read and follow all label directions. You understand there are ways to boost your yield, but can you do it while reducing your inputs? With Plant Insights, powered by Prospera, you can. With center pivot mounted cameras to monitor crop health, Plant Insights captures thousands of leaf level images with each pivot rotation. Growers receive reports to mitigate issues like pests, weeds, emergence, disease, and more. Put inputs where they matter most. Contact your local Valley dealer today or visit agtechonthefarm.com. When it comes to cereal disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. CNB, your local John Deere dealer, is committed to helping you in the field. The CNB Support Center brings you machine monitoring, remote diagnostics, and guidance from expert technology specialists all season long. Learn more about what the CNB Support Center can do for you at DeerEquipment.com. From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. Hey everybody, come on in. The Ag PhD Mailbag is about to begin. 
It is the Ag PhD mailbag time. We're taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. Get this one from Jason over in Minnesota. He wants to talk biofuels. He said, I got some comments from a show about a month ago where a listener wrote in saying there's a lack of knowledge and education about biofuels by the average person, and I completely agree. There are many misconceptions about E85. I was an automotive technician for nearly 20 years, and I've been involved in racing over 25 years, and have been using ethanol in my racing for the past 15. I've converted countless carbureted vehicles to run on E85, as well as some fuel-injected ones. By far and away, the most common things that I hear that's wrong, somebody buys a flex-fuel vehicle from a dealership, and they're told they can't run E85 in that because it will cause problems. In all my years being an automotive technician, not once can I blame E85 for an issue on a flex-fuel vehicle. In fact, my dad has a 2005 Chevy 1500 with over 220,000 miles. The only fuel that's been run through that, other than what, what was in it when we drove it off the lot, has been E85. So a few things here. He said, first of all, uh, ethanol has a much higher octane, can support higher compression ratios. As Brian pointed out, a higher compression ratio would be wonderful. Uh, but he said, I don't agree with Brian on the fuel consumption. Brian was talking about his uh, Taurus that he, he used to run uh, that he said he wasn't really losing anything, maybe a mile per One gallon. One mile per gallon. And, and I tracked every single fill-up for 100,000 miles. And that's a fact. So if you look at E85 versus E10, the difference was one mile per gallon less with the E85. And this was with a Ford Taurus. I think it was a 1996 Ford Taurus, if I remember right. Yep. Tracked it for 100,000 miles. And, yeah, that that that's the fact. All right. Uh, he said the other thing is, he goes, regardless of the miles per gallon thing, he said you definitely want to look at the cost per mile. So taking your... For uh, sure. Money that you're spending per gallon dividing by the mileage that you're getting. Uh, and he, he runs through an example here, but uh, he does have a great observation. He said E85 prices are vastly different from one station to the next. For sure. And uh, most often it's 40 to 60 cents different, but there are stations with much bigger differences uh, and then some with hardly any difference at all. Hey, I agree with you 100% on that, Jason. I, I run E85 through my truck and... Yeah, it's it's tremendously different. Well, just two miles down the road from where our studio's at, uh, E85 right now is a dollar ninety nine a gallon. A dollar ninety nine. Uh, so just the other day, I put in twenty two point two gallons. I spent forty four point four dollars. I was like, oh, that's awesome. Uh, and you look at what fuel prices are, depending on where you're at around the country. You're talking generally three and a half to four bucks. So that's almost half the price. So that's that's pretty fantastic. So yeah, even if there is uh, slightly less mileage, as, as you point out, uh, often it can happen. You, you just divide out the cost by what you're running. And then of course, uh, Jason also makes the point, keep in mind, you're running a fuel that's renewable and it does burn cleaner. And yes. there's a slight power gain using ethanol over gas. Now, a great, great point. Seth. Yep, and that's the thing. So if you can run a higher compression ratio, what that basically means is you can get to the same temperature with less fuel. So it, it, let's turn this around. Everybody talks about well, E85 is you know it it it's it's got less. Uh, let's see what what's the word that BTUs. they use. Yes, thank you. Fewer BTUs. Yeah, true. 
but it has much higher octane. It's not even close. In fact, they try to make, in a lot of cases, E10 look bad at, at some uh, gas stations and with some companies because they literally throw their junk gas together with it, and it, the E10, just 10%, raises the octane level high enough so it looks acceptable to the average customer. But what I'm trying to say here is if you truly engineered a, a, a an engine for just E85, and granted, you can't get E85 everywhere, which is sad, so you can't do this, but you would be able to run at that higher compression ratio all the time. And when you can do that, you use less gas. So this is why people constantly try to use this math and say, well, BTUs, and you're going to get 30% or 20% less uh, less mileage. No, you're not. Not if you have good compression. If you if you change the compression ratio, you can run with a much higher compression ratio with E85. Then you're going to get more efficiency out of that fuel. So I understand the the BTU argument, but it's not right. And I just encourage you take a look at what uh, go to uh, Acres TV for example and watch Mark Rausch and his stuff, or take a look at what Ray Bohax he's been on the show many times what what he talks about. I mean, or any of these guys that really know engines and they work with this every day and they work with the 85. The 85 is the real deal. And yes, he's exactly right in his comments there about look at the cost on a per mile basis. It's way less with the 85, especially if you can buy it from a, a station that is selling the 85 for a reasonable price, just like we are fortunate to get just down the road at Valen Oil uh, in South Dakota here, and spending two bucks instead of spending two fifty or three at some of these places for the same E85. So anyway, I, I just encourage you uh, do some more home for everybody listening. Do a little more homework on this E85 thing. It's a really good deal. And then here's the other thing: do a little more homework on what's actually in gasoline. And once you do, hopefully you're going to see, yeah, that's that's really not the future. And now a lot of people want to talk about battery power and everything else, but we're we're nowhere near that uh, to to replace all the power that we're able to generate out of a normal uh, gasoline engine. But fortunately, we can run E85 through those engines, or maybe it's E50 or E30. Minnesota corn growers a number of years ago did a study where they ran all these different fuels, found that E30 actually had the best fuel economy. They weren't losing, they were gaining, and then the cost was way cheaper too. So anyway, I just throw that out there. Uh, we could talk all day about ethanol, but we're, we're big supporters it's uh, it's renewable. It's good. Uh, it's just it's a good fuel. But don't buy into all this negative talk that's out there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, take next question here. This one's on silage corn rotation. This is from Nolan, who said, "Guys, this will be my third year of growing silage corn on the same field. I'm wondering, should I be concerned about disease and rotate away, even though we really haven't seen anything concerning to this point?" Also, uh, glad to hear you guys are raising silage corn and alfalfa. Looking forward to learning more and comparing notes. All right. First of all, you should always be concerned with disease in any crop, especially when you're planting the same crop year after year. Now, I don't know what you're doing for cover crop as well, but let's just take the example off our own farm. We've got some that it's been corn more than the number of years you're talking about. we got some where it's been five years corn, okay, maybe more. I, I'd have to look. But 
my point is we're cutting silage every year on some of these fields and then we're seeding oats in as a cover crop because we're seeding the oats in i don't worry as much about taking silage all the time if we weren't throwing the oats in as a cover crop then i get pretty worried about it and i'd kind of want to rotate my silage fields around but um and it's mainly just because of the organic matter, and I, I just I worry about erosion and all these other things. But with the cover crop, no big concerns for any of that stuff. But think about this. I'm, I'm raising a grass crop corn and another grass crop oats, and then, I mean, that's my whole season. And granted, I mean, we have nothing growing out in the field for four months or five months over the course of the winter. But still, there is a chance that certain diseases that more impact grasses could be there and bugs as well. We got to worry more about rootworms. And so I just say like in our farm where we're doing this corn on corn on corn on corn, we're putting zyway in furrow. That helps. We're trying to pick varieties that are a little more tolerant to certain diseases that like Goss's wilt, for example, that helps. We are making sure we have really good seed treatment. We're buying good seed treatment package, or we're adding more seed treatment to make sure that we're, we're doing everything we can on that, on that front. And then we're spraying fungicide at least once foliar and maybe even twice. And if you do those things, you can overcome that. Some of the highest yielding farmers in the history of the world for corn, they've been continuous corn. So it absolutely can be done. Don't worry about it too much, but just understand, yes, disease absolutely is a concern. We'll get to more of your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag coming up right after this. Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit MortonBuildings.com. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trifold Herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trivolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at TrivoltInAction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. At Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support the ag industry. That's why at our free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event, we're giving away more than 100 college scholarships. Plus, we'll head out into the field for hands-on agronomy sessions, including our comprehensive guide to crop scouting. This day may be geared towards younger farmers, but whether you're a college student or just want good agronomy info, this is one event you won't want to miss. Learn more and register for the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event at agphd.com. 
Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. Control the toughest weeds with overlapping residuals. Lock in the longest lasting control for your soybean fields. A pre-emergence application of an authority brand herbicide plus a post application of Anthem Max herbicide establishes the overlapping residual control key to safeguarding your soybean seasons. This pairing is a heavy duty economical strategy against Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, Kosha, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or lockin.ag.fmc.com today. Always read and follow all label directions. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio, and we're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time, taking your calls and agronomic questions throughout the rest of the show at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. That's exactly what Dan did. He said, hey guys, love your show. Got a question for you. I'm planting some sweet corn that is not Roundup ready following alfalfa. What is the best way to tackle the alfalfa from coming back? I ran the cultivator through, which helped tremendously for the first planting, but as the season goes on, each staggered planting of sweet corn, the alfalfa will only become thicker and more full with each passing week. Well, here's the good news. Most things that you can use in corn will kill alfalfa or at least seriously ding it up. So ideally... Um, I would have wanted to hit it with a strong rate of Roundup before I did any seeding. So that's choice number one. Choice number two, you could do some kind of early burn down with dicamba. We don't want to do it in crop. I don't like dicamba in sweet corn. I just feel it can be a little hard on it. Can it be used? Sure. I wouldn't do it though. Instead, what most people are doing in corn is using an HPPD like impact and a little atrazine. Well, both impact and atrazine, they're, they're supposed to kill alfalfa. What I've typically found is they usually don't kill alfalfa, but they really make it look awfully sick. So that's probably what I would do and call it good. If it's me. But yeah, I mean, if you still have some that hasn't been seeded, just go burn it down with some Roundup and then that that solves that problem. Okay, uh, I get this one from Dan. He said, when you guys were talking about moldboard plowing, I thought I'd just add in uh, our observation, the size of farms today makes it not really practical to rely on moldboard plowing. But if growers are using hay in the rotation, plowing after the hay crop before returning to row cropping seems to be where they do it. Well, yeah, but what what we talk about a lot of times with this moldboard plowing thing is, number one, you don't have to do this at all. But it's more a thing where stirring up the soil sometimes can be really helpful to break up compaction layers, but especially to mix up some stratified nutrients. So if all your nutrients are in the top couple inches of soil, now you can spread those out down in your ground. And you can go out and do moldboard plowing once every 10 years or something like that, or 20 years, fix a few issues, take care of some ruts, whatever, and 
it's just it's another tool and it's not like you have to do this every year or anything like that but so this is one of the things Darren and I've debated about a little bit on the farm but I'm a big proponent in hey at least one time I'd like to open things up but for us now it's a little bit different because we're getting a whole bunch of, of liquid manure applied on a lot of ground so we are stirring things more opening things up more applying fertilizer deep we've also been doing some deep strip till putting more fertilizer down so it's not real necessary for us on our farm anymore but prior to that we had done some no-till and I really wish we would have done something to break up the compaction first I wish we would have stirred around some of the nutrients first or come up with a better way to get nutrients down in the ground so yeah there there are a number of different reasons why some people like to moldboard plow um, and a lot of people hate it. So all we're saying is it's another tool and in certain situations it fits. Okay. Uh, I had this one come in from Brian with a, with a different question here. Uh, basically are people pulling his leg? Does corn make a noise as it's growing? Can you hear it grow or is it just the rustling of the stalks? If it makes yeah. a noise, Brian... I don't know what it is, but you definitely hear the sound well, of the wind blowing through cornfields. Yeah, no doubt about that. Yeah, but you think about the speed that that corn can grow, and is it possible that there could be a little pop or a little something here and there? Absolutely there is. So, I, I mean, it, it's not like it's going to be constant noise. You'd have to be out in your field really paying attention. But, yeah, just go sit in your field for a while when the wind is calm but the corn is growing fast and i'm sure you're going to hear something for the most part though it's just rustling of leaves all right this one comes in from butch down in iowa non-gmo corn and beans how do you stop woolly cup grass i've watched your weed of the week i'm just curious has anything changed and what your best nope. recommendations for 2023 would be nope non-gmo corner beans uh balance flex pre and then post emerge it's accent uh and I, I would say this. That's corn. Also soybeans, he's asking. Oh, so, oh yeah, sorry. Uh, beans, it's super easy. You just start with the three pre's. You follow with literally any grass killer, and you got it licked. Uh, but I, to come back to the corn, what some guys will do is just try to get by with something like a Laudis or Impact, or even in some cases Callisto, with a little bit of atrazine. And they do this fairly early when the woolly cup is really small, and you might be able to get it. So I'm not going to count on that, but you might be able to do that. But the problem is, if you've gone Balance Flex Pre, now you shouldn't use NHBPD Post unless you want to go back to corn again. So that's not something we recommend as it is doing HBPD twice. So that gets to be the concern. But otherwise, like I say, you got accent. Okay, uh, I get some soil tests for you, Brian. This one comes in from Billy. Uh, he said, uh, all right, guys, uh, I got a few fields here. The one that I named between yards is going to canola plots and the north field uh, ones are going to grazing corn and while well, the north field small is going into sorghum Ooh, okay so we got a few different things going on well the good thing billy about soils is we're kind of looking for the same things now obviously you may put a little more nitrogen on a, a crop like corn for example than you would on on some others but outside of that just looking at the soil tests in general just looking about what you would like to do you said we did split these fields into 10 acre grids after trying to convince dad that five acre or even one acre might be better we came to a compromise yeah. And what we often say about that one acre deal is at least do it one time in your life. 
and then you're going to see that variance that there is out there. So I'd really encourage you do at least some of that. And once you see that variance, you're going to go, oh, we got to do that in every field. Again, not necessarily every year. Uh, even one time in your whole farming career, that might be enough for you. You'll see that variance. You'll start to make some changes. So I, I'll just say this, just running through some things real quick. Soil pH is in the upper sixes, so that's really good. The problem is when you start getting to some of your nutrients, for example, phosphorus, you got 65 pounds in one field. 65 pounds? That's not going to cut it. Uh, in in the first field, uh, 381 pounds. So, yeah, that's not too bad. And when I start looking at some of the other nutrients, though, it's a little different story. Like potassium, for example. You've got one where you have 4,000 pounds of potassium, and the base saturation K is 17.5%. The lowest base saturation K I see here on these three that I'm looking at is 8.6. Stop applying potassium, please. Don't put any more on for a little while, maybe a year or two. Like in the field where you're at 17%, you don't need any for probably 10 years. Well, maybe not 10, but five. It all depends on your crop. So stop putting nutrients on. It, that's not something a fertilizer dealer is commonly going to tell you. But, I mean, like in that field where you've got 17% um or uh, base saturation K, you also have 18 parts per million of zinc. Okay, so that's really good. I, I, I mean, great. Don't be putting a whole slug more on, though. So, uh, and then some of the other things you just need to pay attention to. Boron, you're constantly going to need to add some where you got one part per million. Copper, you're down to one part per million. Some of those kind of things, sure. You can invest a little more money, put some money into phosphorus, but do not put any more money into potassium. All right. Uh, cockleburr control. Ryan sent a picture. It's solid cockleburr seeds on the ground. This is going to be corn. He said, our co-op recommended outlook plus roundup plus atrazine and wait until the corn is six inches tall. Do it all in one application. He said, would you guys rather do a pre followed by a post? What always. would you like to do? We've got a lot of issues with cockleburr. Yeah. I mean, we always like going two shots and it's mainly because of grass, but I mean, other weeds as well. If we let our corn get six inches tall without applying anything, it'd be a weedy mess, and there's no possible chance we're going to maximize yield. No way, especially in a dry year. So I, I, I don't like that strategy. You could use those exact same things. Well, I, I if it was me, and I'll just well, I'll just tell you what we're doing in our farm. We're running harness down. Outlook down would be fine too. Otherwise, post emerge, then you come along with an HPPD and a little atrazine and some Roundup. You're done. Yeah, if you want to save the HPPD, that's fine. Otherwise, you could go with something like Verdict, Down, Pre, and yeah, come back with the HPPD post. That would be the best choice. Right, right. Yeah, and that's where I was going with the HPPD. That would be the post shot. Pre, I'd do something like an Outlook, Harness, whatever. But yeah, Verdict would ab absolutely have more activity in the Cockleburr Pre. Hey, thanks for the question. Good luck on your weed control this year. Thanks to you for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.